uh, preached a message most of you probably don't remember. <laughs> it's, uh, if I'm going to be honest, on walking with the Lord. So you don't have to raise your hand, but just a question to get your thought process going. How many of you walked with God this week? You know, uh, a lot of times we think about that. Um, you know, our culture has programmed us to be spectators. We we watch people on TV uh, and we read about people in books and what they're doing and we go on people's Facebooks. And if you're not careful, you, you live out your life drinking from somebody else's cup. You know, you you watch people do all these great things. Uh, it amazes me how people get into uh, sports, spectating all that, how how much they get into it as if they're the ones on the field. And and a lot of times, if you're not careful, we live our lives through somebody else, uh, whether it's on TV or maybe it's your group that you Facebook with and you look and you see what they're doing. And, and uh, you kind of, if you're not careful, you do the same thing in your walk with the Lord. You, you watch other people uh, worship, uh, you listen to people sing, you read great books about great people who are doing great things, but if if asked you personally to stand up and share what God is doing in your life and in your walk with the Lord, you might not be able to say a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we, we, we drink out of other people's cup and we live our lives off of other people's faith. Uh, when I encourage you that you have your own cup, uh, I don't share cups with people when I drink, and, 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 and you ought to have your own cup, and here's the thing, your own cup ought to be full, to where it's overflowing, and other people, maybe they can drink off beside your cup, but anyhow, you get my point, that, that you have your own walk with the Lord, um, day in and day out, and, and what I, and what I also mean by that is that there's way more to a walk with the Lord than just praying. A lot of times we look at our lives and go, well, I talked to the Lord this week and I prayed and, and that kind of stuff. And we hinge a whole lot of our walk, uh, based upon prayer. We'll look this morning and see that it's a lot more than prayer. When you start off in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it said, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, uh, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him that curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God calls Abraham, speaks to him here, and and calls him out. And Abraham goes and he follows God. He begins this walk with the Lord here solely based upon one thing. And that was a promise. If you look at this, God made several promises here uh, in in this in this verse here. He said, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make your name great and make you a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, that you'll be a blessing. I'm gonna bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of earth be blessed." So there's several promises there that God speaks to Abraham. Abraham hears God speak. He hears the promises, knows the promises of God, and he begins to walk with God based upon seeking after those promises. When Abraham left his country of Ur and he went to a land that God would show him, he was going, walking with God, looking for the promises to be fulfilled that God had made him. So when you walk with God, our walk is exactly the same thing. God has appeared to us. You know, later it says in the Bible that God appeared to Aaron. God has appeared to us as his son, Jesus, okay? Jesus, fully, fully man, fully God, okay? So God has shown himself to us. God has spoken to us in his word. Uh, also, it talks about in Hebrews how in these last days God spoke through his son, who is the word. Uh, and, and God's word is full of promises. 
And just as Abraham, think about it, just as Abraham left his old country and he went into a new place, God calls us out to leave our old life and to go into a new life. And, and you are saved and you live your life out in faith wholly based upon the promises of God. So I want to ask you this <clears throat> real quick. I'm going to give you some. I'll have to go through time today, but I've asked a few people this week just off the top of their head if they could name me five promises of God. If you think about that, if I was to ask you right now, and I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but if I did, if I said, you know, so-and-so, stand up and give me five promises of God. There's a lot of people who, who, who can't stand up and go, well, this is a promise from God, and this is a promise from God, and this is a promise from God. And so you wonder why that you that you you gauge your walk with God upon prayer. That doesn't necessarily mean you're walking with God. It means you're talking with God. But it doesn't mean that, that you're walking in the pathways in life that God wants you to go. Because a walk with God is chasing after, seeking after in faith, believing what God has spoken to you. That's what motivates you in life. That's what moves you. Let me give you some for instances. You can write these down. And if you want a good Bible study... You know, study that out. You need to know the promises of God. And this this is later in Genesis. It says, I'll give you this real quick, not part of my message. But remember when God brought Abraham into the land, it's called the land of promise, the promised land, okay? When God brought him there, he said, I want you to walk the full length of this. Wherever you put your foot, I will give this to you. God was constantly promising Abraham something, okay? And he said, wherever you walk, I'm going to give it to you. This this here is our land of promise. God's word is his promises to his people. And God says, you know, God didn't tell Abraham, you know, come over here, pop up a tent, and I'll take care of everything. He said, I want you to walk through the land. I want you to dwell in the land. I want you to go here and go there. And wherever your foot trods, I'm going to give that to you. God gives us his word just like it took effort upon Abraham's part as he walked through the land, okay, to, to, to claim the promises of God. We walk through God's word. You can't claim or live by or act in faith upon what you're ignorant of, what you don't know. And a lot of people go, I don't know where to start. Pull up the internet. If you can't do that, get your wife or your five-year-old to do it. Look on there and type up, what are the promises of God in His Word? And you'll get a thousand websites that's just giving you Scripture. You say, I don't know what's right. It's just going to give you Scripture. One promise after another, okay? And every one of those promises that you look at, write them down. Because that's God saying, I promise you this. For instance, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says this, For if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or that Jesus is Lord. If you'll confess your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God had raised you from the dead, promise you will be saved how do you know that you're saved i'm saved by a promise not by a feeling not by an experience i'm saved because i believe the promise of god jesus is lord i confess that absolutely believe with all my heart that he's the son of god that god raised from the dead humble myself and believe the gospel if god said why do you think you're saved say because you promised me and God is faithful to His promises, okay? That's how you know that you're eternally secure. Hebrew, there's another one, Hebrews 13, 5. He said, be content with this, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise from God. How do I know that God's with me? Even when I'm walking in a place that I'm not supposed to be walking, just like Abraham did, just like David did, how do you know that God's with you? He promised me. He promised me He would never leave me nor forsake me. Philippians 4, 19. How do you know that when we have a crisis in this nation and, and the stock market falls or you lose your job that, that you're going to be okay? 
God promised, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Philippians 4.19. That's a promise. I can go to God in, in times where, where, and I have, in times where work is low and go, Lord, you promised to me that you would supply not my wants and not all my little toys and stuff. But Lord, you said you promised my needs. And you know what? God has been faithful, so faithful to keep that promise. And he always will keep that promise. Romans 8, 28, when you're in a time of difficulty and things don't look good, Romans 8, 28 says this, For we know that all things, not some things, but all things work for our good or work for good for those who are the call or for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. I know. That even though this this spot that I'm in or this thing that I'm going through right now, even though it looks bad, God is going to work this for my good. How do you know that? He told me he would. He told me he would. He promised me. Isaiah 55, 11, one that I'm, Jeremy reminded me of last night, one I need all the time. Isaiah 55, 11 says this, so my, so shall my word be as be that, wait a second, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I please. It will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. You know that if you're a parent and you teach your kids God's word as you should, or if you're a preacher, or if you're a teacher and you speak God's word, there are times where you go, is this getting past here last Sunday? If you weren't here last Sunday, maybe it's just me. But me and the five other people that were sleeping and, and everybody, I, I left and I went home. I thought, God, you know, what was the point of that? And I know that sometimes I view things in a different view than you view it, obviously. But I look at that and then when you look at this, you say, why, why would you keep going? Why do you keep studying? Why would you keep teaching? Why do you keep preaching? Why do you keep teaching your kids this when they act like they don't hear nothing? And, and youth workers who devote time to studying God's word, study God's, and you go over there and teenagers laid out half asleep. And why do you keep doing it? Because his word won't come back void. He promised me his word would not come back void and it will do what he, he had sent it for to accomplish. And then here's a really good one for your personal life. Um, Psalm chapter one. And I'm not quoting, but it said, blessed is the man, blessed, I'm preaching on this next Sunday probably, that word blessed is happy. Say, I want to be happy. How many of you want to be happy? Amen. Some of you want to be miserable. Get away from me, all right? But some of you want to be happy. And say, does God want us to be happy? Yes, God wants you to be happy. It talks about all the way through the Bible of, of happiness. Happy are the people who are in the state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. God wants us to have happiness. He wants us to have gladness. He wants us to have joy and rejoice in the Lord. I know he's my grandbaby. And so I'm not just saying him because some of you couldn't see it. Well, go when Jeremy was up here and there's playing rock was down here and he was just, you know, he was just thing. And I thought he's the worship leader this morning. I mean, just awesome to watch. You know, he don't know nothing about this, what you should do. And this is not what you should do. He was just rejoicing and expressing happiness. I'm not saying he was doing it before the Lord, but I'm thinking the Lord was smiling at that. I thought maybe we ought to learn something from kids and come before the Lord as a child, but, but he's happy. Okay. You want your kids to be be happy? You know what your kids going around? Life's miserable and everything's terrible. I think sometimes we come to church. Okay, I got to stop there because I'm going to preach next Sunday's message. But but it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the God, of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor is seated in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the waters, who brings forth his fruit in season. His leaf does not fade, and whatsoever he does will prosper. 
Period. You got that? That's a promise from the Lord. One that I can go to the Lord and go, look, God, I want to be that tree planted by the waters. I want whatever I do that's in your name to prosper. I want to be blessed. I want to be happy. And God says, you do this. This is my promise to you. And so, but you, but you can't live by that. You can't, you can't chase after that in faith if you don't know the promises. I so encourage you to this week get in God's Word, even if you have to take a little journal or note and go each week. If you just do one a week, one a week, anybody can do that. I'm going to find a, a promise from God in there and I'm going to write it down and I'm going to pray this and I'm going to memorize it so that when, when times come where the devil's going to challenge me in this, I can go, when somebody says, why do you, why do you do what you do? Because think about it. What promise are you following after right now? Right now, people say, what is the promise that you're looking at God's word and go, this is what's, this is what I'm following. This is what's moving me in my life. This is what's directing my life, directing my past. This is the why I raised my children. This is why I'm investing in this area of my life as a husband or a wife or as a servant of the Lord or as an employee or as, as somebody who's involved in whatever it is in your life. What is it promise of God that is motivating or moving you to where you go, God, this is why I'm doing this because you promised me and I'm going to continue to follow you believing that you're going to keep your promise. You know, some some parents need to look at the Bible says one of the one promises that I'll give you two promises with kids that that I followed after as a parent and still do. One is train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The second one is foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Y'all can look that up. And if you want that promise, you can do it. If you can come up with the problem, the problem with a lot of times in our life, we have our own promises. And here's another thing to consider with the promise to God. If God didn't promise it, you can't claim it. You know, one of the things that I think about, you know, I want to do something great. And I, I do want to do something great for God. But God never spoke to me and said, I'm gonna, you're going to do something great. I can't claim it. I can't say, God, you promised me. No, he didn't. Okay? If you can find it in the scripture, it's there. But you can't go by what you think in your head that God's going to do and hold it as a promise. But if it's written down. And God spoke it. God is true and faithful to his word. And he's going to keep his promises. Now, look at this. In verse, um, I want to look in verse 4. It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother, son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So that they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree near Moray. And the Canaanites were in, were then in the lands. Those, those are the ones who's going to try to keep you from receiving the promises of God. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land there's there's a promise and there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord and so when you look at Abraham I want to bring out this part of the altar in his life God spoke two promises right here. When Abram walked into the land, and God continually confirmed him, confirmed him, okay? And so, as that goes to show you, number one, we need confirmation. Ain't it easy to forget the promises? It is so easy for you to go, this is what I'm going to do, I believe it. You know, a couple of days later, you're like, oh, I totally forgot it. And, and you get into God's word, and God's like, I'm going to do this. You just continue to go and continue to follow me. 
So anyhow, God promises, I'm going to give your descendants this land. So number one, you got two promises there. God said, you're going to have descendants. Remember, Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. So God's like, I'm going to give you a kid. I'm going to give you a son. Second thing is, I'm going to give your son this land and all your descendants this land, which is the land of Israel today, which they possess, which God kept his promise. Okay. And so in that, when God spoke that promise to him, Abraham built an altar. Now, Old Testament worship and New Testament worship is different in method, but same in spirit. Don't miss this. What was he doing when God said, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do? It would be like if, it would be like this. If, if you're sitting here today and you're hearing God's word, or maybe you're having a Bible devotion, or you're studying God's word at your house, maybe you're on a, you know, a deer stand or wherever it is that you go and you, you spend time and you're speaking and you see a promise from God and God speaks to you personally in that way. And all of a sudden when you hear that, you know, your response back in the Old Testament would be, I'm going to get a pile of rocks. I'm going to stack them up right here. I'm going to, I'm going to get a lamb that I have. I'm going to bind him and I'm going to lay him up here. I'm going to pierce that lamb. I'm going to kill him and I'm going to burn him before the Lord. Some people are like, man, that's kind of, no, no, you got, you got to get the picture of this. What was Abraham doing? He was responding in worship to God, to the promise. Worship is not always thanking God for what he has done. Worship in faith is going, I believe, God, that you're going to keep your promise and I want to worship you for that. You ever seen anybody who was on their deathbed and they were worshiping? Say, how can you do that? Your life is over. They're not looking in the past, people. They're looking to the promise. They're fixing to see glory. That's how they do it, and they worship in faith. And sometimes, even in your dark moments, you look at the promises of God, and you go, I can worship. Even though my time is hard right now, I know what's coming. I know that God's going to bring me through this, and I know God's going to bless me in this. And so that was one of the reasons of the altar there. Another thing is shows that he was surrendered to God. But the main thing I want you to see about the altar was, say, why did, he, why did he slay the lamb? Because he was reminded of God's great sacrifice so that he could have the promises. The promises of God are not given to us because we are good or because we are bad or because we work a certain way to attain God. And God's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this promise. That, that lamb offered up represents the ultimate altar which was the cross of Jesus Christ. Number one, the only reason that God and Abraham was together in fellowship was because of that sacrifice that was made. Get this. The altar represents a mindset of eternal, um, an eternal thought process. He's looking to the heavenly. He's looking with an eternal perspective in his life. And the altar is what connects heaven and earth. Are y'all with me? Okay. Let's Let's dig a little deep. When you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, the only way that we can come into the presence of God. Listen to me. We take prayer and coming in God's presence so light because we've always been able to do so, you know. But here's the thing. If Christ had never died on the cross for our sins, if there was no altar, no sacrifice, and you came into God's presence, he would strike you dead. He's holy. We're not. He's holy. We're sinners. He pours out wrath on sinners. But when Christ went to the cross, he connected heaven and earth. Remember when Jesus prayed, as it is in heaven, so will it be on earth. He's connecting heaven and earth there at the cross so that we have a way to where we can fellowship with God. And don't get, and here's the thing. I don't think Abraham went to altar and went, oh, I feel so horrible for having to do this. This is terrible. 
He might have dealt with some sin there. As God calls us, when we look at the cross, living our life in the shadow of the cross, we're reminded that we're sinners. But here's the main thing. We're reminded that we're forgiven. When you come to the altar and you live your life in the shadow of the cross, you're reminded, God loved me so much. His desire to give me these promises was so great that he died so that he could do that. That's the amazing love of God. It wasn't so that we feel guilty and we feel shameful. You know, oftentimes it's another picture of when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take the, when we come together for communion. A lot of people have the idea that communion should be a, a time where you're, you feel guilty and you feel, oh, just, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Communion is not about, oh God, I'm, I'm a terrible sinner and, and I feel so sorry and I'm awful for my sins. Communion is God going, I want you to be reminded that I loved you this much. That I died for you on the cross so that me and you could have a relationship. So that you could walk with me. So that I could bless you. So that I could give you all the promises that were bought for you in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. All the promises of God are in Christ. That means God said, there's no way that I could bless these people. There's no way that I could do anything for these people unless somebody pays the price for their wickedness and their sin. And Jesus is like, man, I will do that. I love them so much. I'm willing to die for them. I'm willing to be consumed by their sins so that they have an opportunity to fellowship with you, to know you, to be blessed by you. So every time that you come to the cross, it's not, I'm condemned and I'm guilty and I'm awful. It is, God, you're so good and I'm so thankful. And and when the devil tells you, you can't have these promises, look at you. Because some of us, we wake up on Sunday morning and go, man, did I have a good enough week that I can go worship today? And we look, we always looking back. Faith never looks back. We look back and go, I, you know, if I, I don't have, I don't have to look back too far. Maybe two hours ago or yesterday where I go, oh, I, I said that, or I thought this, or I did that, or I didn't do that. I really don't think I need to go, but since I'm the preacher, I better, right? You know, I don't feel like I, I can come into God's presence. And we look back, and we get and then, and then just as bad, some of us look back and go, heck yeah, I had a good week. We get self-righteous. You know, I, I did pretty good this week, so I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to come into God's presence. You, you don't come into God's presence either way without the sacrifice. It's all about the cross. And the, and the cool thing about it is you look forward, you go, so, so do I feel like I can go into God's presence and worship today? If I'm looking at the cross, I'm like, yeah, because that never changes. It was finished. What Christ did for you settled it. He's like, you can come on. You had a bad week. Come on. You had a good week. Come on. Because you're not coming based upon your performance or how you did live or didn't live. You're coming because I'm good. And that never changes. And that's what the altar was about. And God wants you to live life from an eternal perspective. The promises of God, you have to claim them from an eternal perspective. Now, here's the problem. I'm almost going to get you out of here on time, all right? Just like the rest of us, sometimes we our walk goes south. Abraham's walk went south. Notice what it says here, verse 9. So Abraham journeyed, going on still, towards the south. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Now notice this, God didn't tell Abram to go to Egypt. He said, I want you to dwell in the land I'm going to give you. He wasn't giving him Egypt. And all of a sudden, Abraham hears God, and this is so 
applicable to our lives. He hears God. He hears the promises of God. He worships. He believes. He claims that he has this great Sunday morning service. And all of a sudden, he looks up and there's a famine in the land. And, and all of a sudden, you go from heavenly minded to earthly minded. He took his eyes. There's no record of an altar here whatsoever. He stopped looking to God and he started looking at the famine. Some of us call it the Monday reality. Are y'all with me? Sunday is awesome, man. I just, it was good. Worship was good. I heard God. You know, I, I met with the Lord. I prayed. I talked God. I got things right. I got some hope. I heard God's word, this and that. And all of a sudden, a famine hits on Monday. Usually a spiritual famine because that's the only time we get into God's word is Sunday. And the next thing you know, we go from heavenly. Sometimes, honestly, for me, it don't even take, it don't take till Monday. Sometimes right after church, a famine hits and you're like, okay, uh, this is reality. Now I've got to deal with this issue and that issue and work here and family here and kids here and church nuts here and all these different things. Y'all, you understand what I'm talking about? Or you go home and you're like, oh, that was just a, thank you, Lord, it was a great day. And you get that text on your phone, you're like, okay, now I'm in a famine. And what we do is we take our eyes off of heaven and we put them on earth. What happens, and that's when your walk goes south, amen. So how do you know if your walk's gone south? Let's look. Verse 11 said, And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah his wife, Indeed. Now I want you to notice here, all of a sudden Abraham begins to look several days ahead. When your walk goes south, when you're walking with the Lord, you're, you're walking with the Lord moment by moment. You're trusting God for everything. You're focused on where you're at. Remember what Jesus said? Don't think about things tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble. Or today's got enough trouble. on. Focus on me today. Right where we are. We're walking. When you're walking with somebody down the road, you know, and you're trying to lose weight. And you're walking. you got to walk your partner. You're talking. And you're walking. You're focused on a moment. But when your walk goes south, Abraham, all of a sudden he jumps out. And he's trying to control his own future. And he says, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen. He knows He knows what's going to happen. When the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But I, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister. That it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. When a person's walk goes south, the first thing is he tries to control his own future. He becomes anxious, fearful, and scheming. That's how you know. When you have a heart that's anxious, you're always worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or later today or next week. I don't know. I might be six foot deep. I guarantee you most every one of us are going to be buried worrying about something that we never experienced because we didn't make it. It's because we're not trusting. When you're walking with the Lord, you know what? You're trusting God and going, whatever comes tomorrow, Lord, you got it. I'm with you. We're walking together. you got confidence in the Lord. You're not trying to figure out tomorrow. You're just enjoying the moment. There's no anxiousness or fear in the presence of the Lord. Second thing is he became self-centered. When you walk, go south, you become self-centered. He wasn't thinking about Sarah no more. He wasn't thinking about having a son. He wasn't thinking about God's plans for life. He was thinking about self-preservation. He was not concerned for his wife whatsoever. It was all about, what do we need to do? Let's fabricate a story. Let's tell a lie. Let's do whatever we got to do to save my own skin. I'm not concerned about other people's. I'm not worried about your troubles. I've got my own. You ever come to church and you hear those people who always got to, you know, do better than you? When you've got some troubles, they're like, oh, brother, you have no idea. 
uh, my troubles are way. And then somebody's listening and they come over and they want to magnify their troubles. It's because we become self-centered and we become concerned about our own needs and our own cares that we don't have time to think about other people. And then notice what he does here. He leads his wife into a terrible predicament. Verse 14, so it was that when Abram came to Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful, the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded or commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Now, here's what happens. Pharaoh is basically trying to buy this sister from Abram. Abram takes the dough. You women, listen to this, okay? This, and me and Liz too especially. Here's a husband whose walk goes south. He's not focused on the Lord. He's leading his wife into a terrible predicament along with the rest of his family. He lies about the situation. He's benefiting from the lies. He's getting all the goods and all the stuff because he's self-centered. And now his wife is fixing to become the wife of Pharaoh. Now some some of the some of the men and probably a lot of the wives can identify here and go, I know you might not say it, but you're sitting there going, I know a husband whose walk is south. Amen. And maybe your husband, his walk goes south. He's leading you. So what am I supposed to do? I need to tell well, I'm gonna tell you what Sarah girl Sarah, Sarah should have said this. She should have got him in line real quick, told him Sarah didn't do that. Sarah submitted to her husband. You want to talk about what submission is? Sarah submitted to her husband and said, This is the plan, huh? All right. You're the leader. I'm going to go with this because I'm submitted to you as unto the Lord. Notice what the next verse said. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah. That's a picture of submission. It wasn't Abram beating his wife down her going, okay. And then her getting God's like, because you were submitted to your husband, I'll take care of you. God doesn't need you to get your husband's walk in line. He'll get your husband's walk in line. What God wants you to do is honor him by honoring your husband. And in that, God's going to take care of you. Ain't that, that's just not even part of my message. But that's beautiful, I thought. I thought, man, that's good that you as a, you as a wife have that promise. So what have you? You say the husband is a leader of the home. He is. Biblically, he's a leader. He's a spiritual leader. He's a physical leader at home. What happens if my husband's not walking with the Lord? Am I supposed to get him in order? No, God will take care of that. You just submit to your husband and you honor God in that. And you know what? God's got to honor you. And some of us husbands need to take, take a look at that because how many times have you let your walk go south and what predicaments have you put your family in because of it? Because we are the leaders. Me and I'm talking to us. We're the leadership. We're the leadership of our home. We're the leadership of a church. And when your walk goes south, you're not the only one walking. You're leading your family into a horrible predicament that God can deliver them from. But understand this. Abram got two things when he went to Egypt. So did God bring him out of Egypt? Yeah. But he got two things. What was it? He got rich and he got Hagar. Remember who Hagar was? The great, 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 great grandmother of the Islamic nation. Why are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people being slaughtered today because of one decision of a man to let his walk go south? There's always consequences. Like, well, aren't we forgiven? And didn't God say he'll never leave me and overstate me? Don't miss this. It says the Lord was the Lord was in Egypt. 
but there's no altar in Egypt. There's a difference between being in the presence of the Lord and coming into the presence of the Lord. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the Lord will walk with you for the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean that you're walking with Him. That doesn't mean that you're walking in the goodness and the blessings of God that God has for you. Yeah, God's going to take care of you just like He took care of Abraham. But notice the outcome of this life, of letting His walk go. It says... uh, in verse, uh, I don't even know what verse it is, but it says, uh, verse 18, and, and Pharaoh called Abram and he said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Basically saying, why are you lying? You hypocrite. I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away. With his wife and all that he had. Notice he he took all that he had. Now Abraham, the Bible said Abraham was a friend of God. Does that not go show you where we as Christians can end up walking? I also want to point out to you that Abraham was still a friend of God. Didn't change. Nothing changed in his relationship to the Lord here. But he was rebuked by the world as a liar and a hypocrite. And so Abraham makes a decision here, and he's like, this is not a good place for me to be. And so in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1, I'm finishing right here. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel. Notice where, where he's headed. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made at first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Ain't it sad that a, a man of God or a, a woman of God, that you can allow your life to get to the place where the world can rightly rebuke you. This is not a, all y'all are hypocrites down there. He was a hypocrite at this moment. He was a liar. It's a shameful thing for the world to be able to go, you're a Christian I'll tell you this quick story, and I won't even tell you. Most of you probably wouldn't even know who I'm talking about. We were in a place. This is a generic story, okay, because it's true. We were in a place with some people. <laughs> and and I, I was in this place, and, and there was somebody who was there that I used to pastor. And in this place, this uh, this person um, said, we're giving your group a discount. And I said, um, I am a part of Cedar Creek Baptist Church. And he said, well, you're getting a discount. And and then somebody who was there with our group said he's he's the pastor blah 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 and anyhow I got my little five dollar discount and I turn around when I wa- turn around and walk off and I believe this person is a born again believer but his walk is very south at this point he stepped up from behind me and the owner of this place said I know you ain't with that group and I thought how awful I don't know how he felt at that moment but if that would have been me. That my walk is so south that I look so much like the world that when the world watches me, they're like, he's a Christian. You ain't, I know that you ain't with that group. I thought, God, I, I, I've been, I've been there. If you want to know the truth, nobody said that to me, but they could have said it to me. They could have looked at me and went, you're a Christian. Pharaoh could have looked at Abraham and said, you're telling me you're here because you're a missionary. You're following the Lord. This is what following the Lord looks like. How many of us could the world say that to? And the world rebuked him and rightly so. But you know what? And in that rebuke, 
It brought Abraham to attention to where he was. And maybe God sends people along in our life to go, you're telling me you're a Christian? I need to be like you. I need to live like you. You're no different than me. If people say that to you, I hope it rakes you up to go, you know what? I need to get back to where I used to be. I need to come back to the altar. And the awesome thing is he returned to the altar and he called upon the Lord. And if you'll continue to listen, the Lord was there to meet with him. So here's your hope this morning. Number one, I hope that you'll get into God's word this week and you'll start looking at the promises that Jesus died to give you. Because they're yours. It's a personal promise to you that you have access to. Not because you go to Cedar Creek, not because you're good, but because of the sacrifice. Because those promises are in Christ Jesus. They're mine. Why are they mine? Because because Jesus died so that I could have those promises. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Second thing is, if you don't know Christ is your Savior, that you'll realize how much God loved you and died on the cross for you so that you could have that life. That's how great you are in His sight, that He would offer up His Son on an altar of sacrifice so that your sins would be paid for, so that you would have a, a, the free gift A promise from God that you simply claim where he says, if you will turn to me, I'll forgive your sin. I'll save your soul. I'll give you new life. I'll walk with you forever. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you here this morning might need to claim that promise. And the third thing is, maybe you're down in Egypt. Maybe you're walked south. If you can look back on a time in your life, go, man, I remember a time when I was really close to the Lord. It was good. I was hearing God. I was seeing God. I was walking with God, seeing the blessing of God in my life, seeing the promises of God fulfill my life. And somewhere along the way, I took my eyes off the cross. I took my eyes off eternity. I took my eyes off of heaven. I walked out of the shadow of the cross and I started walking in the shadow of darkness. And now my walk south and I'm way, way down here in Egypt. Understand that the altar never left its place. The cross still cries out to go, I still love you. And I still want you to come back. And I still want that fellowship with you. And my promises and my plans for you have never changed. Maybe you need to return to the place of the altar today. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for... This group of people. Lord, I thank you that you love this group of people. God, your mercy is so amazing when we look at your word to see what you did so that we could have salvation, so that we could have forgiveness, a full pardon from sin. And not only that, but God, just to be blessed by you, Lord, to be showered in your grace and in your favor and in your goodness towards us, your plans for us. Lord, I know this is myself. Probably other people here whose walk is south, not in a place where we once was. Lord, maybe we've walked away from the altar in our life. We've taken our eyes off of of you and we've put them on this world and the cares of this world. God, I pray that we would come to a place to recognize the emptiness that this world gives us, Lord. And we would come back to a place where we would walk in your fullness, that you'd wash us, that you'd cleanse us, Lord. Lord, we would let go of the things that have taken us down, Lord, and you would lift us up. Your word says that you lift us up out of the miry clay and you set us upon the rock. God, thank you that you're always there.
Even when we go down in Egypt, you go with us. Thank you, Lord, when I make bad choices that you protect my family. God, help us as men in this church to walk in your footsteps, to lead our families in your ways, and to trust in your grace to be sufficient for what we need and where we fail. I pray, Father, for somebody here that doesn't know you today, God, that they would right there where they are claim that promise that you died to give them in Jesus' name. Amen.